Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the spoiler-full podcast where we do a film a week from Two Film Geeks. We have your normal Two Film Geeks this week. Uh, this would be uh, Brady and Rob, myself. Uh, it's just the two of us this time, Brady. Normal, nice. <laughs> it hasn't been the, the norm. Compliment. Yeah, it hasn't been the norm for a while, actually. Um, yeah, it's a mandate uh, here in the garage. Mandatory mandate. Exactly. Um, Brady, why don't you start us off with the plot synopsis of this movie from 2003 starring Peter Dinklage called The Station Agent. Ah, yes, The Station Agent. Uh, This was uh, the biggest thing to come out of Sundance in 2003 and gave a major kickstart to uh, three actors who are, I think, all with us doing a lot of good work lately, even though I could stand to see more of Patricia Clarkson. But certainly Peter Dinklage, uh, now huge on Game of Thrones, playing Tyrion Lannister. And uh, Bobby Cannavale has been pretty omnipresent himself, uh, getting a role and I think even an Emmy for Boardwalk Empire and uh, also appearing in the recent Blue Jasmine. So this 2003 movie is the directorial, uh, I want to say, debut of Thomas McCarthy. And uh, he, oh, what else has he done? Uh, he's done The Visitor, uh, you know, Visitor immigration drama with a very strong Richard Jenkins performance. He did the wrestling dramedy win-win with Paul Giamatti. Is that like uh, spelled W-I-N-W-I-N or is it like... W-I-N hyphen W-I-N. Okay, I used to have a co-worker named Win-Win and his name was literally the same as his last name. First name was the same as the last and it was spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. Oh, cool. That's a good name. N-G-U-Y-E-N. Yeah. And most recently, I haven't seen this, but he did The Cobbler which seems to be a magical realist movie starring Adam Sandler about a cobbler who gets a magical pair of shoes that endow him with uh, spectacular empathy abilities. And I was really hoping it would be good, but it sounds like it's much more a Sandler movie than a Thomas McCarthy movie. It's it's supposed to be terrible. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Rock! Rock! (laughs) I got Tom. Tom, I've, I've got an idea. What if... What if we just made it a little more shabba de do? A little bit of horror. Exactly like that. Uh, anyway, I wonder uh, what they have to do <laughs> when um, when Adam Sandler's wearing a lapel mic and he starts doing that kind of shit because every time we do an Adam Sandler impression, it just goes to static. Yeah. Uh, must be the white noise he hears in his brain. Nah. I love you, Adam. Do more punch drunk loves and uh, funny peoples. Yeah, and fewer vacation movies. Yes, please. Okay, well, why don't you uh, go around and tell us what happened in this movie? Okay. Well, this is a very lean movie. This is uh, you know only a tidy eighty minutes, I want to say, uh, and it is it is almost the template of what a a modest lyrical Sundance picture looks like. Uh, so we start with. Uh, now, I'm not clear on the location, but I think this all takes place in and around... Oh, wait, no, no, we do know. He's uh, from Hoboken. Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. Stomping you. grounds of who, Rob? I don't know. Frank Sinatra. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, and so we meet this uh, kind of lonely, taciturn fellow who is also a dwarf uh, named Finbar McBride. Uh, though I don't think we learn his last name until... Like, almost the end of the movie. Yeah, very much later. But, you know, he goes by Finn, uh, and he's kind of just a lonely soul who has, like, only one really friend in the world who he confides to, um, a an elderly black gentleman named Henry, and together they operate a, a train shop. You know, they sell train memorabilia, model trains, and so, and in their spare time, they also host uh, train club meetings, and now... I'd never heard of these, and you've probably never heard of them either, but what they consist of is people come over, 
and they have videos where you know you take videos while you're riding a train or watching a train go by, and they kind of show these videos, and the person whose turn it is to host narrates them. And so they, so this is a very hermetic, insular life that he leads. The other thing that we learn very quickly, uh, which probably shouldn't come as a surprise to us, is that as a dwarf, you have a life uh, with a lot of prejudice, either vindictive and purposeful or just purely by accident. So, you know, we see that in his day-to-day life, he gets mocked by kids on the street. Uh, when he's waiting in line to buy groceries, the woman at the checkout counter doesn't see him because of his size. And so this has kind of driven Finn, probably enforced his uh, very taciturn lifestyle, uh, where he just wants to live quietly and alone. So what happens is his friend, Henry, uh, dies. Uh, we don't know why, probably a heart attack, but he dies in the shop. And he bequeaths Finn with a depot in, uh, I think, just, I'm not really familiar with New Jersey, but in a very rural kind of small town part of New Jersey out in the middle of nowhere. And so when the executor of the state tells him, look, this place is bumfuck, there's just nothing there. Uh, the sweet! <laughs> yeah, he goes, oh, oh, really? And he decides, okay, well, with my only friend in the world now gone... I'm going to take this opportunity to completely remove myself from humankind and just go live in this train depot. I'll get to be alone, and I'm a train fanatic, so there's probably an appeal in getting to live that lifestyle as well. And so he goes uh, hoofing it with his suitcase to the train depot. And when he gets there, uh, his, his attempts at utter solitude are almost immediately thwarted by a Cuban-American food cart vendor a food truck vendor, played by Bobby Cannavale. Uh, his name is Joe Oramas. And Joe, uh, like Finn, is also now stuck in this very small-town location. But unlike Finn, Joe does not like that. Uh, his father is sick, so he's having to run the truck all by himself. And Joe is a people person, so it's driving him crazy that he has to be in such a solitary environment. Hey, uh, what you doing? Hey, how are you? <laughs> Hey, uh, what, you like trains? Hey, can we hang out later? Yeah, can we hang out later? Now? Want to go on a walk? Yeah. Uh, if, if you do something, will you tell me? We're not going to do anything. Yeah, but if you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, going, that's yeah. jumping ahead. But uh, so, you know, instantly there's kind of this funny, uh, very sweet dynamic of the lonely guy who wants to reach out to people, wants to have more human contact happening upon probably the person in the world who least wants that contact. And so he's continually trying to extend himself to Finn, and Finn isn't having any of it. And, you know, he sees that Finn is uh, living in the depot. And so what happens then is, because there's no running water in this old shutdown depot, Finn goes to a uh, grocery store, a convenience store, to pick up some jugs of water. On the way there, he is nearly run off the road by the worst driver in the world, Rob. Uh, Olivia Harris. Fucking awful driver. <laughs> played by by the wonderful Patricia Clarkson. Uh, really great work in this. She was nominated this very year for Pieces of April, where she's really the only noteworthy thing about it, uh, playing a mother dying of cancer. She really should have been nominated for this role, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, so she's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And she tries to help him to his feet. And then so Finn goes to the convenience store, and, you know, instantly encounters the prejudice he was trying so hard to get away from because the woman at the, who runs the store instantly snaps a picture of him, you know, treats him like a curiosity. Though she does try to make good on it by then offering him some free beef jerky. And so this is, you know, a tiny snapshot of what Finn's life must be like. People doing wrong by him and then apologizing. Uh, so then on the way back, uh, and this when I saw the movie in theaters, this is when the movie, like, snapped into place for me. And I laughed really hard. Uh, Olivia is again driving down the road while Finn is walking in the other direction. And she spills coffee on her ass. And the shot that I like is that instantly the car starts swerving in the exact same way that it did in the first shot. And Finn is just looking on dumbstruck that this is happening. This must be intentional at yeah. this point. This person's trying to kill me and make it look like an accident. Because they so, hate little people. <laughs> yeah. Short people. Um, Randy Newman. I could do a Randy Newman on an understudy. 
Well, you're not supposed to give it away. I was, well, I won't do it this time then. Um, though I guess it would have been good I, to do this time. I guess I guess we'll be rewarding uh, uh, continual listeners. So if they listen to this episode and they listen to an episode later, then as be, we should exactly. Okay, and then you know, so she apologizes again, and she's really embarrassed. And she offers to give him a ride back to the train depot, but he says, no, like, please, just all of you crazy people, just leave me alone. He, he doesn't come out and say it, but that's what he's thinking. And so then uh, we also see that there's interaction between Olivia and Joe. Uh, once again, as always is the case with Joe, it's mainly him trying to inject himself into people's lives. And what we kind of get to learn is that, like Finn, Olivia is a person who also wants to be left alone. And we learn this in the next scene where Olivia comes by with a bottle of scotch, or no, of bourbon to apologize to Finn uh, for, you know, nearly killing him. And, you know, in their interaction together, we learn that Olivia's son died a couple years ago. She had, you know, a small son, probably about five, who uh, died in an accident on the playground. And so we get this interesting character moment where you know, Olivia is basically asking the same thing that Finn wants, which is like, for a moment, will you not talk to me? Will you not look at me? You know, she, she just wants to sit there on the couch and not be judged and not not be the object of anyone's gaze. So there's kind of a kindred please thing. Please stop looking at me. Would you please not look at me right now? Uh, and so in the morning, Olivia wakes on the couch and kind of has this oh shit moment like, oh God, did I get drunk and do something dumb? No, I slept in my clothes, and Finn is asleep in the bathtub. And so she drives off, but she accidentally leaves her phone, and Joe comes to the door to congratulate Finn for what he thinks was a, a great romantic hookup, uh, but Finn is quick to dispel this notion. And then they see, oh, she left her phone. Uh, I'm going to have to return this to her, and Joe knows her address. So uh, Finn goes off to try to find her, uh, leaves the phone at her door and we see kind of Olivia lives in this very nice lakeside house uh, where her that her it's husband vacation bought. Home. Yeah, it's her her ex-husband's vacation home and it's the place that she's come to like Finn to get away from everyone. You've managed to explain a lot of things that happen in this movie where not that much happens. But if I'm explaining them clearly they happen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, so the first 15 minutes of the movie took six minutes to explain, or uh, 12 minutes to explain. <laughs> okay, now I'll, I'll keep going. Here we go. All right, so, and we also see that she's a painter, and at that point, a friend of hers, you know, from her old bougie, you know, white liberal elite life, because she used to live at Princeton, has stopped by in the neighborhood, and... <laughs> You know, kind of as that friend that she's like, oh, we really need to sit down. Oh, we've got to get coffee. And Olivia's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how you found me, but uh, we'll we'll do that at some later time. I have to go. Uh, so then what happens next is, uh, oh, Finn goes to try to get a library card and meets librarian Michelle Williams, who was in our last movie last week, uh, playing Tessa's least favorite manic pixie dream girl in the Baxter. Yeah. Uh, and this is Michelle Williams very young, like just coming off of Dawson's Creek, I want to say, where she must have been the only worthwhile thing. So anyway, there are many scenes that basically just lay out that this is a woman who wants to avoid everybody because uh, of her situation, uh, which needs to be explained. And then there's the uh, the little person played by Peter Dinklage. Uh, who also wants to avoid who, contact. Who wants to avoid contact. And then there's the gregarious person then they're all out there and they get to interact uh so you know we could go through every scene but all these scenes are kind of driving this this point home so maybe we'll just well, know, do mean, some of the touchstones here yeah yeah okay so you know he also tries to get a library card and you know he doesn't have mail yet so olivia is actually in the library and she's like well i'll, I'll get it to you and so yeah what what the movie is showing is kind of this character dynamic, uh, very invested in character and performance, but sort of the slow evolution of this friendship between these very kind of well-defined uh, types of people. You know, as you say, two solitary people and one overly gregarious person. And so I think at some point, Joe forces them to all sit down and have a meal together. You know, he cooks them some Cuban food. 
and promptly leaves and promptly has to leave because his dad forgot his medication. And so, yeah, I finally get to, to hang out with some people. And now I got to go because my 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 father can't check the uh, Albanio. <laughs> that scene has a really nice moment where, I mean, you know, eventually Joe's not. Uh, a saint and I'm glad that no one in this movie is portrayed as a saint but we get this moment where we think he's going to say something kind of bigoted and it turns out that that's not what he's driving at because he asks Finn like let me ask you something do you people have uh, clubs I'm like oh god is he asking like if there are dwarf clubs he's like well what kind of clubs like you know like train clubs it's like oh yeah certainly there are those kind of clubs um, and so yeah we get this very sweet development of a friendship between them uh, we also uh, Finn also meets a, an adorable little black girl who uh, follows him around and wants to be his buddy, uh, leading to my favorite utterance of the word high in movie history, where she's just kind of stalking him, and eventually he stops because he's like, okay, hi, and she runs away. Um, and so we also learn that, uh, well, Finn doesn't... She also asks him if he's a midget, and he goes, no. No. Uh and doesn't clarify any further, because fuck off. Right, yeah. Tired of that being what defines him. Yeah, um, and we get this sense of his exhaustion all through it. Uh, and so eventually, Olivia uh, gives him a video camera so that, that he can do train chasing, which is what people in train clubs Right, because he doesn't have a camera and he, and he doesn't have a license. But now he has Joe and his food truck, and now a video camera. So they shoot a movie, Joe and Finn do, and they screen the movie at Olivia's house. And that's really great. And they have a merry time. And uh, Joe jokingly writes his phone number down, which will come up later when they need to contact him. And, uh, you know, we get a very touching scene between him and Olivia where Finn's explaining like, yeah, I was in love once, but like I, I'm just I became like a very angry person because of the way the world treats me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, in the morning, though, the ex-husband stops by, and it's kind of this awkward moment where, you know, maybe it looks like, uh, Olivia was having a tryst or something with Joe or Finn, uh, and so Joe and Finn leave, and the husband is yelling at Olivia about, like, oh, you haven't answered your phone in weeks, I've been trying to get a hold of you, and, uh, what we eventually learn is that he's trying to get a hold of her to tell her that he's had another baby with his new wife. Right. Or new wife or new... Well, like, the whatever the new person in his life is. Yeah. Because um, they're not together anymore. Right, but they've been apart for not that long. Uh, I, you know, that I don't know. I mean, they're definitely separated, but I don't know... When the I mean, I, I got the feeling that, uh, you know, he'd been trying to get a hold of her because he he's trying to kind of pull her back into his life and she keeps trying to avoid him. And that's why she's out in the lake house in the first place. Right. Right. And um, the other thing is, is like uh, when they. Uh, who's her baby? Who's the first baby? Is that with the dude? Is he taking care of the kid? He got custody or the first baby? Well, another baby in his life. So he had a kid with her. Oh, well, they have the son that died. Okay, they have a son that died. Yeah, I, no, I missed that part. You missed that part. That's huge. Well, that's when she's like, "Please don't look at me right now," because she, you know, shares information. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Because she, well, because she's. Uh, I love how awkwardly Clarkson plays her. I think she's just trying to reciprocate. Yeah, reciprocate when Finn's like, "Well, oh, my my good friend died." She's like, "Oh, uh, my son died." It's like. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, like, it's way more. Yeah. You know, a parent outliving their child is way more traumatic than... than a, an elderly a, gentleman. And Well, I mean, a dying. friend, because you're like, you know, I know you're going to die someday, and I'm going to have to deal with that. You don't know that. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> I'm an endless. Uh, so anyway, then what happens is this news drives Olivia into a, a steep, steep depression, and she shuts out all contact with Joe and Finn. And so, you know... The first half of this movie has been about Finn reluctantly being forced into socialization, and the the closing or later scenes become about that world shutting down and kind of the threat to this tiny social world that's that's built up around him. And so, you know, as a result of that, things become a little strained with him and Joe, particularly when Joe eventually convinces Finn to go to a bar, which 
Finn hates going to bars, understandably. But he ends up there alone. He ends up there alone because Joe, uh, Joe flakes, though with good reason. His dad, you know, has an episode and has to go to the hospital. Right. But but Finn doesn't have a cell phone, so there's no way to contact him. So he's just sitting there waiting for Joe. Okay. Yeah. And the only person who shows up is Michelle Williams, librarian, who shows up to divulge that she's pregnant with her asshole towny boyfriend, uh, who eventually gets into a little mini altercation with Finn. Oh right. And then uh, later, Michelle Williams even shows up and spends a night with Finn. And uh, that could be like weird that like all of a sudden he's kissing a, a 16 year old or 17 year old. But the movie plays it kind of just touching like it, it's in keeping. with. Oh, the she's mo- supposed to be that young. She's pretty young, I think. I, I figured she was 20. She, yeah, let's say she's, she's the over town, 18. She's the town librarian. Yeah, she's, she's young. She probably, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, she picks... 20 sounds right. Yeah, she and she, 20 or 21. Oh, but well, she's, she's at a bar. A bar. Yeah. <laughs> so 21. All right. Um, I mean, you never know with, like, bumpkin towns, but... Uh, That's true. I mean, yeah, basically, early 20s. And, uh, you know, I won't get into that later, but pro- probably had a abusive father and that's why she chooses abusive uh, boyfriends and blah, blah 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 yeah her boyfriend certainly is a dick um so you know then she spends the night with him and i think that gives him maybe the point is that gives him like a little bit of energy kind of in keeping with this idea of oh i need to like actually be around people like i shouldn't shut myself up because after that he's like okay i'm gonna go find olivia like i need to set this right and so does he go to a bar twice then um, he does go to a bar twice. Okay. Uh, Darn, I thought we were almost done with this plot <laughs> synopsis. It's gone on for... Because, <laughs> yeah, no, he... Uh, 21 minutes? He goes to uh, drop off Olivia's... Oh, wait, no. Well, this that's in an earlier scene. He goes to drop off her groceries and gets rebuffed. And she's like, thank you. Go away. Leave 20 bucks, yeah. Okay. So we don't need and to so do every scene. We just need to do the touchstones because we already know that the scenes are basically reinforcing that... Fit, uh, Finn willfully wants to be an isolated person. Um, Olivia's been forced into it, and and uh, Joe doesn't want to be at all, but uh, has to, and was also forced into it. Mm-hmm. So, so we don't need to highlight right, we that. Only have, we only have a few more. This will be easy. Okay. So then, you know, after spending a fulfilling night with the librarian, he's recharged, full of energy, and he goes to... Uh, Olivia's house and that's where we overhear the phone conversation about the new baby and Olivia whereas before she just coldly rebuffed him this time she cusses him the fuck out and she's like you know saying like look I'm not your mother or your girlfriend and I don't you know like just leave me the fuck alone I really really mean it get off my fucking porch and so this sends Finn right back into his own depression he goes to the bar a second time and gets completely hammered uh, and eventually kind of, we get the sense it's a little bit through misunderstanding and drunkenness, but you know, kind of just feeling everyone's Everybody's gaze upon him, him. Yeah, yeah. uh, eventually lashes out, knocks well, his there drink are the off two, the bar. And there are definitely the two guys who had made fun of him before. I mean, they're or, there, but the way the scene's But they're looking at him and kind of laughing at him and then they bring him a beer and then that's when he gets pissed off. Yeah. Because he's a novelty to them. Yeah, no, I mean... I, I think the scene plays ambiguously, like with any everybody of these else. People laughing could be laughing at anything, right. but but those two guys definitely were going like, "Oh, it's the fucking midget, man!" You know? Yeah, which like maybe you know, interpreting it charitably toward those characters as them trying to make an apology for being dicks. Like I'll, I'll. At any rate, he, he does basically what he does in Game of Thrones, which is gets up and goes like, "Have a look." Here I am. Take a look. Take a look. And then he stumbles drunkenly out of the bar and uh, walks the tracks and kind of falls down. And he has what I'm pretty sure now that I've seen it a, a few times is just like a hallucination of a train coming. He, and him just kind of like embracing oblivion, just like, fuck it, like in this moment, like maybe it would be good if I just died. And so we think that a train hits him. But instead, he wakes up by his depot where trains don't run. And, right. But, but his watch is smashed. And so it's kind of like a wake-up call to him. And so he goes back to that confront... That he's running out of time? He, uh, yeah, just like... I think it's just like a wake-up call to not be fatalist. Uh, I, I thought of it like you could... Uh, like the Jack Gantz thing of putting the uh, pocket watches under the tires. 
So you could just be like, so the train rolled over me at. <laughs> when did that train hit me? Because <laughs> it's hard to remember when you're hit by a train. Exactly. Um, so he had another guy. <laughs> so he picks himself up and for a third time goes to Olivia's house to confront her. And he finds her collapsed because uh, she's taken too many pills. And they hug and she's, you know, depressed and wants her son back. And so he takes her to the hospital to get cleaned up and he cleans up her apartment for her and he finds the number from Joe left at the party, which is good because he and Joe earlier have kind of a fight where Finn's just finally saying what's been on his tip of his tongue the whole time, which is like, I just leave me alone, like go away. And Joe's finally like, okay, fine. I will go away. And so luckily he has that number to call him and they all take Olivia to the hospital and they pick her up and Finn agrees finally to speak at Clea's school, give a train presentation, and uh, he does. And he does. And then a kid calls him a midget, and, and then yeah, the, or asks how tall he is, and then the teacher takes him out, and then the next scene is. And then the other kid's like, "What about blimps?" And then the next scene. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and then the very last scene uh, is a callback to an earlier scene at the party, and it's just all three of them. Uh, watching a train movie together after a nice dinner and they're together again and Joe's like oh you should take that librarian out you know that's like the great fantasy like hair down glasses off books flying and Finn's like well she doesn't have glasses and the last line of the movie is Olivia saying you should buy her some it would be worth it and uh, and they're together and that's it So, uh, we can talk about how we liked it now if anybody's uh, uh, still listening. <laughs> After 26 <laughs> minutes of plot synopsis, uh, when we only have an hour for this one because we have a meeting in like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, while I'm doing my how to... How, well, actually, uh, yeah, I'm going to do my how I liked it first. Uh, why don't you get some movies together for Metacritical? So we oh, can okay. roll that quickly. I didn't really like this movie that much. I think it's a good movie. I've watched it before. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea. It's too slow. I can't get into it. And uh, the thing that I find interesting about when you pick movies like this, uh, like this and Into the Wild are very much uh, similar. They have a similar theme, which is, you know, like that the real human experience and the real enjoyance of life is is by sharing it with other people and that... You know, uh, the things that happen to you that make you want to isolate, that sends you in, into a spiral. And so I like the message. I like the way it's acted. I like, there's nothing wrong with the movie. It's just not my cup of tea. So, I mean, it's obviously a, like a solid B. But, um, you know, it's just like the, the big event that happens is Roger Sterling uh, from Mad Men. Uh, but, of course, 10 years younger comes in and like tries to get in touch with Olivia. Like, that's the big, that's the climax. And then that's followed by several other events, like the bar scene, uh, the her kissing him out, blah, 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 when the emotions start to run high. But I mean, like, really, like, that, it's just kind of like uh, all these scenes with all this stuff, and it kind of floats and it goes. But there's no real apex, right? It just, it, that it keeps the same mood the whole time. Um, even, even when people are angry at each other. I'm not saying that their acting is flat or anything like that. It's just the way it's paced and the way it's put together. Like you don't really have these boiling po point moments of tension. It just kind of just goes. Uh, so I eh, too slow for me. Uh, B good acting, good writing, everything fine. Just uh, like uh, like Into the Wild. Just it's too much a series of events and not enough. Uh, uh, you know, a ABC plot line, which I like to see in order to kind of understand how I'm supposed to feel or kind of when the movie's going to be over oftentimes. Because, uh, you know, you get halfway through this and you're like, uh, when's it over? Like, have we been watching for like an hour? Or have we been watching for like 20 minutes? I don't know. I, I have no sense of where this is going with the, the roadmap of plot anyway um what about you brady how do you like this movie um i i hear you man i hear you uh but i i like this movie a lot uh 
I mean, I, I give it an A. Like I've I've seen it so many times. I get what you're saying, but plot wise, I do think a lot happens, and I think the fact that it took so long to synopsize kind of uh, points to that. Uh, I just think it's it's such a, a well observed piece. Uh, and I just, first off, I think the acting is, like, close to perfect. Like, it's just, this is, now granted, I think there are lots of examples of movies in this kind of quiet, uh, call it the Sundance movie genre, that do become so insular that they almost become suffocating. Uh, but this, for me, is the kind of the shining example of how to do it right. And I think it's because it, it invests totally in character and performance. And that's just, I think, being lucky enough to have the right actors. I think these actors blend into this universe seamlessly. Uh, obviously, the main trio, but you know, even to have someone a, as talented as Michelle Williams, like Michelle Williams, an immensely talented actress, playing a, a small role, I think everything is very well cast. I, I think that's part of it with me is that you put a heavy emphasis on acting. I kind of feel like, yeah. Uh, that's that's not uh, it's not one of my priorities when observing a film and watching it. I mean, I, I want it to be passable. I don't want it to be awful acting, but um, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal for me. I, I look more for sound design and uh, cinematography. Well, I I want those too. Like to, you know, take the yeah. You know, this is a great example because it's a masterpiece movie with terrible acting. Uh, Two thousand one: A Space Odyssey is very poorly acted, but that's not the point. So you know. That, really? You think it's poorly acted? I mean, yes. No, I mean Kubrick intentionally directs flat performances out of these people because it helps support the feel. Right. And they theme weren't. Of the they movie. weren't really supposed to be characters. They were just another. Yeah. Machine. I mean, it's a movie about uh, like yeah. humanity, kind of. They were going another away. cog. In, yeah. Exactly. In the machine of. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is, uh, and this, you know, I I like this also because it enables me to enjoy art for a number of reasons. Is great acting. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that great acting alone can make a movie, but I can appreciate a movie as like a tremendous character study actor showcase, uh, and uh, but also appreciate a movie as an alterial director piece. So, you know, there are just lots of ways to enjoy a movie. Uh, but I also just like that it's, I feel like it's very clean and well observed. And maybe, you know, some of this is going to blur into what's it all about. But what I really like is that it stays small. It doesn't, like, even, you know, maybe toward the end you could say that it's something of a contrivance, but not really. That's just a small but very seismic thing that happens to the Olivia Harris character. Uh, none of this seems like manufactured drama. It all feels like the natural evolution and bumps in the road. Yeah, you put friendship. these characters together and have them interact with each other, basically. Yeah, and so, you know, what uh, kind of the same thing that to you makes the movie feel like nothing, to me also makes me applaud the courage of its convictions because to this movie, that friendship, this tiny, you know, tiny little bobble of a universe is the fucking world. I mean, to these people, it's the world entire. And so what the movie's really about is just a very touching, believable, tremendously acted friendship develops and something comes along to threaten it. And that's why I like that ending shot because it, it kind of underlines like, no, yeah, this is the point. Like, what's great is that these people are back together and that's it. And that is a small thing, but it's also a huge thing if you're those people. Um, so yeah, no, I just, uh, it's, it's a small movie done just so, so, so right. And Peter fucking Dinklage, like amazing, amazing actor, uh, Patricia Clarkson, great work. I want more from her. And it introduced us to Bobby Cannavale and is still his best work in my opinion. So, so that, you know, it's a case of a small movie just done to perfection for me. So I, I do give it an A. I've, I've seen this so many times. All right. Very good. Uh, let's go do Metacritical. All right. I need... Oh, Metacritical. Cool. Rob's never gonna win. A Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. Ooh. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical, yeah, it's time, time to play. All right, so we're doing Metacritical just between me and Brady this time, so it'll uh, plug along a little bit faster. All right. Uh, well, 
usually we kind of do a, a leapfrog lily pad thing where we, you know, take an actor or some component of the movie we're reviewing and take that movie and kind of spin off from there. This time, though, I've decided that I will give, uh, you know, give a little bit of propers to five players from the movie that we've seen. So five of the actors, uh, each one of them in a movie. So let's start with Michelle Williams and let's do Blue Valentine. Okay, Blue Valentine, I don't know too much about. Is that the one where uh, he has the blow-up doll? No, it's Lars and the Real Doll. Uh, yeah, Lars and the Real Girl. Real um, Girl. Uh, Blue Valentine is about is the, the, same... the dissolution of the relationship while also looking back. It's like the most depressing Annie Hall you'll ever see, but really well acted. Is it, is it by the same director, though? No, it's As, uh, Derek Jean-France. Yeah, no, but did he do Lars and... No, the real girl. he did Place Beyond the Pines. Lars and the Real Girl, that's Craig Gillespie. I forget what else he did. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, Blue Valentine, I think it was Critical Darling, but not necessarily well-received by people. Probably got reviewed a little bit more later on. 72. 72. It's probably more like an 87, but... Uh, I, I'm thinking 70... <laughs> oh, that was that was a face that was a face of anguish and let me do 75 to be safe yeah because you're probably gonna just lose three less points than me i wanted to say 77 but then i could also see this like th this is the kind of movie that's very polarizing i think tess kind of hated it uh but i but everyone's in agreement that the acting is otherworldly good 81 81 okay so that's nine for me and six for you yeah, I figured that was going to happen. It was going to be in the 80s, and I was going to go with the 70s, hoping that you would go with the 80s, and then that it would maybe luckily not be, and I could get a little... Uh, pick, -a -boo -a -mink -a uh, pick up some points on it, but I guess I'm only under three. Okay, let's let's now give a tip of the hat to uh, perennial working character actor Richard Kind, who shows up for one scene to play the executor of the estate in this and is also the brother in A Serious Man by the Coens. Uh, I don't remember A Serious Man at all. Oh, I, I thought you loved that movie. I did. I, li I liked it a lot. I just don't remember it. It's like... Uh, Job. Story of Job. You know, it's like a relationship that you enjoyed in your past that, you know, then now when you think of it, it's just so long ago, like, it just doesn't, doesn't stick. Like, very first girlfriend or second little feeble attempts at girlfriendness or something like that. Uh I, I can't really you know, I'm like a, a couple 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 times I remember. But, you know, not not the whole thing and we hung out tirelessly for at least three months. So Okay. Well, um what was the movie? Serious Man. A serious man. Uh what was the second word in the uh, something man? Serious. Serious, right. Um, are you taking this seriously? Because I feel like a serious man's putting more into this than you are. 77. <laughs> I'll go 79. Another one that's like a critical darling, but also had you know, a few detractors, I think. They're crazy, though. It's a great movie. Oh, Brady hit a bullseye. Michael Stuhlbarg. God damn it. You're only betting two or Speaking three off of me. So you got a negative five on that because you had 79 exactly. Oh, yeah. Mother. Oh, yeah. Now I'm down. Michael Stuhlbarg and a serious man with Bobby Cannavale in Boardwalk Empire. Now I'm down 10. So oh, yeah, take so that for what it is. So anyway, what's the next one? Okay. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. I... I'm, he's been in plenty of stuff, but I feel like we've looked at Blue Jasmine recently, and so I don't want to pick that. I'm going to pick Chef, which isn't the best movie to represent the fullness of his talent, but it was a modest, pleasurable little thing from John Favreau last year. You're basically picking movies I either haven't seen or don't remember. Uh, it was from John Favreau, so that probably means it didn't get its highest score on it because the critics have kind of soured on him, uh, but it's probably still somewhere in the 70s, so I'll go with 70. Okay, I say 65. It was nice, but it was a little, at times, 
it was almost too mainstream. So it had this like, I'm an indie film and a mainstream film thing going on. 68. Worth, worth checking out, though. So we're both a one-off. No, I'm three off. You're two off. I thought you did 60. Oh, okay. 65. That's, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, I picked up a couple points there, so now I'm uh, eight away from you. Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh, Patricia Clarkson, good night and good luck. <sighs> that was a good one. Uh, that's probably a flat 80. I see an 85. That that one was really well reviewed. I need to see it again. Yeah, didn't that come out the same year as the remake of Failsafe with Clooney? Uh, I didn't even know they remade 80, Failsafe. bullseye for me. Wow, nice. Cool, so that means Brady loses five, which puts him at uh, like eight or nine. I was at like... So you gained I was at thirteen, that. so I get I I I'm down to seven. I think I might be winning. Whoa! Might actually win this one. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, Lassie apparently has a really nice, great little like few scene cameo from Peter Dinklage. This movie wouldn't have even been noticed, but... Lassie from, like, the late 90s? No, it's like a 2000, like a 2004 Lassie. I think it might be Lassie Come Home. God. And uh, I have no you idea. You guess first. I, this one I have no idea. I guess first on every other one. You guess first. Okay, I'm going to go uh, 70. You th- <laughs> I think I just have to guess below you, but not too far below. 65. Okay, 65. 84. Oh, wow. That got really good reviews. Okay, now I'm going to have to see it. I've actually seen the Dinklage part, and it's really touching. So, wait. I basically just <laughs> lost it by, like, two points or something like that. I was Let ahead, me add I was ahead by three, I think, and then now I just... Um, we both got slaughtered on that, but Brady got slaughtered um, by five points less than me. Here, wait, wait. This will take just a second. Make sure you get both our bullseye deductions in. Oh, they're in. Uh, fuck up your adding in my favor. Fuck up. Yeah, Bank error. I, I won by four points. Yeah, fuck. Wow, good round. Exciting. Lassie. Isn't everyone as excited as me? Oh, he shattered over my fuck you. He he figured <laughs> out a way to defeat it. <laughs> yeah. So what's it all about? Brady, what's this movie all about? Okay, so obviously in you know defending my A review of the film, I mentioned how it is completely, totally invested in being about a friendship and the evolution of a very specific friendship between two loners and one gregarious type and that is true and that is a very good thing it is about friendship but this movie has one more ace in the hole and and what's nice is i feel like this ace in the hole connects to the friendship angle it is a very sympathetic very nuanced very interesting portrait of what it is like to be a dwarf so you know, I don't know what, what the movie's more about. I think it's both of them. But what really makes this movie go is that, you know, if the friendship angle isn't enough for you, it is like a really interesting portrayal of what it's like to suffer from that kind of able-bodied prejudice. Like, I really, I didn't even mention this. I love the scene where, you know, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, wow, coffee, Jesus, okay, where Olivia has kind of gone underground and Joe and Finn are hanging out and they're on top of a train. And I mentioned how, you know, you've got that nice scene earlier where Joe looks like he's going to say something bigoted but doesn't. Uh, But this is where Joe kind of puts his foot in his mouth a little bit because he just asks Finn, like, well, have you ever had sex with someone? He's like, yeah, like with a regular-sized chick? Finn's like, "Um, yeah, with a regular-sized chick. He's like, well, would you ever want to... Have sex with someone your own size? He's like, he just shuts him down right there. He's like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, we're not, we're not having this conversation. And so the movie's just filled with interesting details 
you know, from that to the bar scene where Finn lashes out, it's just really well observed on what it's like to have to live in an able-bodied world as a dwarf. And this is where what's nice is that, you know, Peter Dinklage and Tom McCarthy are actually friends. And so they develop this together. And, you know, it has this kind of natural, sympathetic, but very realistic uh, take on, you know, McCarthy basically let his actor help guide the script so that it was true to the experience of what it's like to be a dwarf. And so it's really nice, actually, to have one of the greatest actors working today who happens to be a dwarf uh, get this platform to reveal what that lifestyle's like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... I think that's a uh, important point to his character. I don't necessarily think that's what the movie's about. I think that's what that character's about. I mean, it's basically his motive for wanting to not really exist in society and not really interact with people. He's like, I'm just sick of being not right. even me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm the the most identical thing about me is that I'm a dwarf, and so basically everybody just looks at me as the dwarf. Wait, do we say dwarf or do we say little person or? Uh, he's a dwarf. Right. Well, I mean, he. I, I know. I, don't, I, don't I know, know midget is on PC. I think it. Yeah, I actually, I actually don't know. Hey, Jordan, is it dwarf or a uh, little person or? Uh, dwarf would be the PC term. Okay, cool. We're using the right one then. Yeah. You uh, got. Dwarf is, is, the, is the actual. Um, right. Are you going out? But couldn't go through the. Oh, you're biking. Got it. Mm, what was I saying? Uh, you were saying that uh, the that's what the character's about, but maybe not what the movie's about. See. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I think that's uh, that's what the the uh, the character's about, but maybe not necessarily what the movie's about. Because, I mean, he that the movie's about three people, right? One is forced into a situation where he can't be around people, and he wants to be. That's Joe. Uh, then there's uh, Finn, who totally just doesn't want to be involved, and Olivia, who doesn't want to be involved. Now, his reason for being in that state is because everywhere he goes and everything he does, he's just identified as the dwarf right he's not he's not Finn he's the dwarf I mean we and it kind of underscores that with not revealing his full name or not giving him any us anything other than a nickname like until the end right until right once he finally starts to develop these relationships with people and again this is something I've, I've seen a theme of your favorite movies is that there's always this idea of like that the interpersonal relationship is what creates the life. I mean, Joe is somebody who really goes out and is very gregarious and wants to, like, involve in life. And at one point in time, Olivia and, and Finn, who are both kind of depressed morose and don't want to be, at this point, involved with each other, go like, well, he really loves life. I mean, he really has fun. <laughs> like, Right. So, I mean, you know, that sort of underscored it to me. Um, interesting thing about the whole train thing... Um, is that uh, another way of underscoring that, like, he is the dwarf, uh, you know, that's, and then he's just kind of, like, putting his soul in solitary existence into this, is that the whole train thing is, like, the way the train, and they, they very much underscore this when they do tracking shots of him walking on the train tracks, the way uh, that the uh, trussels, not trussels, those are the bridges. Truffles. Uh, no. Mm, truffles. <laughs> no, the way the, the wooden slats on the that hold the uh, rails are spaced are perfect for his um, stride. I oh, mean, yeah. if you ever walked on a train track for, you know, um, non-dwarfs, right? It's kind of like one of these halfway sort of things. And if you're OCD like me and you really want, like, your left leg to hit this one and your right leg to hit this one evenly or else you feel off kilter um you know walking on train tracks is not very easy for that for a person who is not a dwarf um but because he is you can see it's just like one foot next foot next foot every yeah. time hits the wooden thing and he just walks so comfortably and easily um in that environment like uh, there's a time when they're crossing the bridge and olivia doesn't want to do it and Joe's just like, well, fuck it, I'll do anything. And like, she's like, I don't wanna. And he's just like, just kind of sauntering along, not even looking where he's walking, you know, 
But if, if you ever walked on a trussle, you can fall through those little gaps. Right. And, uh, yeah, he just doesn't seem to care because the train is, is the place for him, the it's dwarf. his environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'll chime in on, uh, like, I, I hear what you say about it kind of being like, you know, each of these characters, uh, the movie does a good enough job of providing the motivation behind each character that, like, maybe you could say that it's more about just loneliness and isolation versus community and forming this friendship. Yeah, what makes you want to have loneliness but and isolation? That, that said, like, not that the uh, the Olivia child death thing and the Joe sick father thing aren't perfectly well handled, and we totally know what's going on. But you know, whether by accident or by design, by Mac McCarthy letting Dinklage have such a hand in this thing, this movie it's too. The, it revolves the, around Finn. Yeah, it's yeah. it revolves around him. Obviously, he's the title character. And the way it specifically deals with like the particular kind of prejudices just becomes too realistic for me to say that the movie isn't about that. Like it almost becomes more about that than even the friendship to me. Because and maybe that's just Dinklage being you know as strong as he is. Uh, well, I mean, I I think that's just his hangup that he can't get rid of. Even when he has the friendship, he he still can't get rid of it. Right. I I really like that scene with and at when the party. The, oh, sorry. Oh, well, I was going to say, and when the friendship starts to fail, that's what what he goes back to immediately. Like, yeah, you know, it's when she cusses him out, right, that he goes to the bar and Joe doesn't something like that. That's that's when he goes to the bar and just like has a scene. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, that's what he falls back on. Right. Like right. that feeling of like if my relationship crumbles, then all I am is a dwarf to everybody. If if my relationships are good, I actually start to feel like a real person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I, I like that scene at the party where, you know, like we think of maybe we think of prejudice as being like, oh, I'm I'm so much more interesting and people like see me reductively. And Finn puts this interesting spin on that, which is, you know, it's not even that I want to be seen, you know, for my passions, maybe for my love of trains and the dwarfism gets in the way of that. Like what people who aren't in this situation fail to see, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the whole white normativity thing like of you know getting to be the invisible class and what finn's saying is like no 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 like what i'm deprived of is just the right to be normal and bland and boring i'm not allowed to just like sit there and blend into a crowd which is what i want because i'm not this like big dynamic gregarious type i'm a simple man who likes trains and i want to be a simple person and people won't see me as just a boring normal person because of this of this, uh, you know, dwarfism. And so it's an interesting spin as opposed to just like the, like, no, no, there's more to me. It's like, well, yeah, there's more to me. I'm just a normal dude. Yeah. And like, to be honest, because I wasn't as, uh, moved by the movie or like invested in it when we were watching it. Uh, that was about my only point. It was like, th this is what this movie's about is about, uh, you know, people, um, really experiencing life through their interpersonal relationships and that this movie really drives that home. Um, oh, yeah, and, totally. and, and the thing about the spacing on the... Uh, oh, the but, then, but then I like the movie also, uh, let's say, uh, ties trans eventually into its theme as well because in his presentation, he's describing how, you know, the station agent as a movie, I think, is about a world opening up, not on a large scale, but on a very small scale. And Finn points out that what the emergence of the railroads did was to take people out of just their tiny situations, out of their towns, and to actually create a larger social setting for them. So the very thing that he's used as an excuse for his hermitism is actually, he comes to see, kind of symbolic of, of the need to have more experiences, to have more people in our lives. Yes, I agree. Uh, do you want to talk more or should we do understudy and then come back and then talk some more? <laughs> want to talk some more? <laughs> and then, uh, then figure out what we're doing next week? Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's go do understudy. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway, so... 
Try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening right now I know you know what I'm doing I'm sure Alice, everybody else told you I wanted to tell you to your face myself I got new management, I'm working with Mickey O'Keefe And it's going good Yeah, sure, they got you fighting Alfonso Sanchez On HBO yeah, HBO's all uh, invested in the Mexican. Mickey, wake up. They don't care if you get killed. Toma did it. He's using like, you like a stepping stone for Sanchez. Of course. How could I stand a chance without the great Dickie Eklund in my corner? You didn't care if I got killed with Munjin. Now all of a sudden you're worried Sanchez is going to hurt me? Why? Because you're stuck here and you can't be the center of attention no more. Yeah, I've seen uh, that, uh, that Mexican fight, Mickey. It's real hard. Fifteen knockouts. Undefeated. Are you crazy? That idiot Lenora went right for it. He's using you to steal money. I wasted my 20s in bad fights set by you and Alice. I finally got a good thing going. Shut up and be happy for me. What's your plan, Mick? How can I fight Sanchez? I ain't here to talk about that. Oh, yeah, you are. Watch the fight. You'll see the plan. They won't let us watch the fight because it's violent. They let us uh, watch the stupid documentary on crack... But my own brother ain't fighting. Because are you scared? Are you embarrassed? Because you don't have a plan to tell me. <laughs> You're going to shit on it no matter what I say. I won't shit on it. Come on. Just just tell me. Uh, go toe-to-toe, overhand right in the middle rounds. He's weak against the overhand, right? Who came up with that? Fatty O'Keefe? Uh, fuck you. I'm going to go. you got to run against this guy, okay? Move. Uh... Punch him. Uh, take him in the body. Mickey, get inside. Switch stances like you're working his, his left, his right. Is it, uh, you know, you gotta show him who's the boss. You're not me. You can't be me. You, you had a hard enough time being you when you had your chance. I'll fight Sanchez the way I fight. I'm talking about the way you fight, you moron. You know I'm right. That was unsudden. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y That was a fun round of understudy. Uh, Brady, do you have more things to say about this movie? Because like I, I said, uh, kind of the the point that I got from it, which was, uh, you know, expounded over the 80 whatever minutes that it was, or is it about 80 minutes? Yeah, I think so. 80, 90 minutes. Um, yeah, I kind of got that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I yeah, I got it. Uh, it was good. Um, you get it. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Um, other interesting things to you? I mean, that was kind of, the, that's what I got. All right, here, open your hand, show me what you got. Oh, you got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, what else is there to say? I, it, it's a movie, for me, it's a movie about the small details. So, you know, like, <laughs> it's it's hard to even, like, that. but that's what I like. That That's, you know, I've said it before, but, like, I guess that's my closing note, is it's almost like this miniature Fabergé egg world of very nuanced characters. A lot of, you know, the weight in this movie is just carried through like small, interesting, funny facial expressions. Just, you know, it is the definition of a closely observed character study. And that's what I love about it. It's just a tiny little crystalline thing. Okay. Well, given uh, our discussion on it kind of wrapped up what's what's about and our plot synopsis pretty much covers the movie uh if you didn't watch it uh seems like a pretty good uh excellent uh situation uh for this uh to have happened for you uh most for two i don't i don't know what you're even saying but yes uh i uh think uh that we should uh think about what to do next week well, since I finally got my way, I guess I've got to go to the next movie I want us to watch. Well, we've got two suggestions on the website. Uh, by the way, if you go to www.carnivoroscouch.com or www.carnivoroscouch.com forward slash carnivoroscouch, carnivoroscouch.com forward slash carnivoroscouch. If you go to the former, it'll forward you there anyway. Um you can click on the little thing and suggest a movie that we want to watch. You can either do it in a comment or you can tweet us at C A R N Y Couch, Carney Couch, on Twitter. 
become one of my mini followers because I'm starting to get followers. It's weird that people like what Strong. I have to say on there sometimes. Strong about him. Exactly. Um, and then have your friends follow us. And then when we say, hey, where's a new podcast up? Then everybody will know and everybody will listen. And then uh, maybe someday uh, we'll uh, we'll have some sort of network going here. Um, so at any rate, uh, other than that... Uh, uh, we got we got the uh, the Warriors way I think which is a two thousand that was a suggestion oh, on the okay. website uh, by Mandy and we've also got um, what else is up on there uh, Ghostbusters uh, Straw Straw Hat Pizza wants us to come do a podcast on uh, on Ghostbusters with them and uh, wait what's Straw Hat Pizza well the, whoever's in charge of their Twitter account uh, totally interested in. Uh, uh, coming on the cast, giving us a pizza and really, they'd bring pizza. I think we, I think they'd want us to go to them or I'm I not quite w- sure. I will watch Battlefield Earth if there's a pizza in it. Uh, in, you know, not in the movie, but Jerry in- Franco Badu, you are on Carnivorous Couch. We are currently recording a podcast. Hi, Jerry. Is this, Rob? Is this Rob. This is Rob and Brady. You're on Carnivorous Couch. We are recording. Yeah, but you're way early. We're I know I'm early, but, but I'm on the way somewhere. I know you said 1 o'clock, but I, but I didn't know where I was going. You know? <laughs> okay, but well, basically we're doing a radio show right now, Jerry, and uh, uh, I don't want to give directions to my house on my radio show. So um, I will call you back. It's okay. That's why I was telling you that you were on Carnivorous Couch. All right. Do you have anything you want to say to the listening audience? Uh, thank God for the East Bay. That's all I can tell you. Thank God for the East Bay. Amen. Amen. All right. Talk to you okay, soon. See, look at that. That just like the station agent. That's just life happening Charles on the margins. Charles Favroth, you are on Carnivorous Couch. And now Charles is here. What's up, man? Yeah. Not much, man. Happy Sunday. Hey, anything you want to say to our listening audience? Yeah, you're on the you're on the podcast right now. Yay! Podcasting. Yeah. Boys in the house. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, thank you for my first time on the podcast, being on a conference call from on my way there. I wish <laughs> I was in person on the podcast, but uh, yeah, I'm just gonna keep talking. Well, not really. I'm on the way. I'm okay. On the way. We'll I'm have you on go. soon, and uh, I'll call you back. All right. All right. Bye. See, now that's what I'm saying. There's life happening outside this cast. This is, we're our own tiny little Fabergé universe full of characters. And uh, we should get more of them involved, you know? Eventually we'll become a vast Fellini-esque ensemble of wacky personages. Agreed. Uh, so, yeah, we got Ghostbusters and the Warriors 1. Um, I also wanted to suggest... Um, I had a good suggestion, actually. I can't think of it right now. What, do you have a suggestion? Grizzly Man. going to jam it in there. I'm just going to jam it until we get our first documentary, Rob. We, uh, I, I want to do Grizzly Man after we do the, our best of 2014. That's what I want to do. I want to do Blue Ruin because y- you're you're looking to judge. Because you, you, you judge, and you you know nothing about uh, about my work or what I'm... Uh, yeah, I know, but I mean, like, uh, you haven't seen Blue Ruin, and you keep watching all these other movies from years and years and years before, but we're going to do our top ten, yeah. and you have to see Blue Ruin to find out if it's on there, right? It's insulting. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to suggest Blue Ruin, you're going to suggest that. We've also got The Warrior's Way, or The Way of the Warrior, or something what, like that. What is, uh, tell me what it's, that is. It's like a samurai, uh, uh, it's like a sukiyaki western, basically. Oh, that's like, cool. Like, you, you know the the whole... Uh, term spaghetti western, right? Where yeah. where the Italian Sergio Leone, etc. We're making all the uh, the westerns and all um, the spaghetti too, right? Uh, so a sukiyaki western is is basically a, a mix of like a blending of martial art uh, and a, a lot of th- a lot of them come out of Hong Kong. I think this one's a Japanese samurai western. Would uh, would Kung Fu Hustle count as that? Yes. Well, I mean, it's not really. 
Is it West? I mean, it has this kind of like, well, that one just like does a bunch of movie send up. So maybe that's. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's that's part of that Hong Kong cinema movement. But I mean, like there's the good, the bad and the strange, which is also a good one. Okay. That is a very um, it, it's very like uh, it's a uh, you know, it's in China and there's a thief and there's a, this guy and there's a, that guy. And it's like a Western, but it's also got Gatling guns and it's also got swords. So, I mean, and uh, like old school fireworks and stuff like that. That sounds really cool. I'm going to be selfish, though. I'm going to vote for Blue Ruin for my own edification because I do. Yeah, let's do Blue Ruin. It's really good. I'd like to see it again before we do the 2014 thing. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I think think maybe we should suggest mostly 2014 movies until we do our our top 10 uh, in case we're lacking in anything. It's like, I need to see Only Lovers Left Alive, but I might see it before you get a chance to suggest it. So, uh, I think that's it. Like a three, two, one theme song? Uh, yeah, yeah. You gotta do a shout out to somebody. Oh, yeah, shout out. Okay, um, let's do, let's see. <laughs> Too slow, Brady. Three, two, one, Brian Trunk Bauer. Theme song! Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Movies are nummy in my tummy. <laughs>